Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our racetracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. That said, today we're going to do a deep dive on a racehorse from the much more recent past. Indeed, one who will likely still be fresh in the memories of many racegoers, in the UK at least. When, in 2013, the World Thoroughbred Ranking Supervisory Committee undertook a rather drastic retrofitting of some of their figures on horses of times gone by, there were mixed feelings. On the one hand, some horses from their earlier days had clearly been overindulged and were cut down to size, even if some seemingly arbitrary downgradings from more recent heroes felt a little disrespectful. On the other hand, there was a seemingly good reason. Recalibration was needed because this venerable organisation believed that they had just witnessed the greatest horse in their history. Frankel, named after owner Khalid Abdullah's recently deceased US trainer, Bobby Frankel, had supersire Galileo as a father, and Dane Hill mare Kind as a mother, so there were expectations. His career became intertwined with that of his trainer, ten times British champion trainer Henry Cecil, who suffered punishingly from stomach cancer throughout the time he was in charge of this special cult. Even at two, Frankel's nickname at the stable was Pegasus. They knew they had something mythical on their hands. As Cecil's widow Jane recalled later, Shortly before his first race, he galloped with a highly rated three-year-old and left him for dead. He drew clear by 20 lengths. Everyone who saw it could hardly believe their eyes. One of his traits, however, which many humans can relate to, was that Frankel didn't like change. Racehorses often change barn as they grow, and Frankel was put in the yearlings barn when he arrived at Warren Place. At two when all the youngsters were moved to their new, larger and fancier rooms, the others were fine. But not Frankel. He was clearly unsettled, so they moved him back to his smaller shed, where he was immediately placated. It may have been because he wanted to be near his best friend, Bullet Train, a horse who would often act as Frankel's pacemaker, and who, Frankel may have just sensed, was his three-quarter brother. Ridden by Tom Queeley throughout his 14-race career, Frankel first won a maiden, readily, at Newmarket, from future King George winner Nathaniel, before trouncing a small field by 12 lengths at a conditions race at Doncaster. Stepping up in class at the Royal Lodge Stakes over a mile in September, he bounded past a decent field to win as he pleased by 11 lengths from future Irish Derby winner Treasure Beach before comfortably beating a field of future Group 1 winners in the Dewhurst Stakes back at Newmarket. He became a predictably hot favourite for the following spring's 2,000 guineas. At three, stable staff once again attempted to move him to a new part of the stable where he would be more comfortable. Again, he made it clear he was unhappy, so they took him back. They didn't bother trying again. Preceded by an easy prep race in the Greenham Stakes at Newbury to fine-tune him, Frankel's 2,000 guineas was something to behold. 
Only Tudor minstrels' iteration of this race in the 1940s was as mesmerising, and never was Frankel's ground-devouring stride more evident than on that day. Utterly spread-eagling the field, with Dubawi gold a remote second, everyone was left in stupendous shock, with Ian Bartlett's commentary having shades of Chick Anderson's timeless call at Secretariat's Belmont Stakes. During one of the great classics, each is gradually overcome with disbelief. Yet the commentator makes sure that we are focused on the uniqueness of what we are witnessing. Displaying so much speed meant connections were unsure if he would stay the 12 furlongs of the Epsom Derby. So instead, he went to Royal Ascot and won the St James's Palace Stakes in what was his least impressive display. Queely taking him into the lead too early, where he idled and then scrambled home by just under a length from Zoffany. Older horses beckoned. First, champion Oldermiler Canford Cliffs in the Sussex Stakes at Goodwood, who was dispatched easily by four lengths. The normally reserved Henry Cecil finally started being more assertive. I know it's a facetious thing to say, he said, but I think he's the best I've ever seen. Fewer and fewer were arguing. He was only seen once more as a three-year-old, back at Ascot at the Queen Elizabeth II stakes, where Frankel won easily by four lengths from a field with numerous Group 1 runners, including Prix du Moulin winner Ex-Celebration, whom he was beating for the third time that year. It was to Prince Khalid's sporting credit that Frankel was enjoyed by the racing public for another year, despite the lure of the lucrative breeding shed. Reappearing in the Lockinge Stakes at Newbury, he won smoothly by five lengths from Excelebration again, Cecil claiming that he still wasn't fully fit. As it transpired, he was right. Royal Ascot beckoned once more, this time in the opening race of the Queen Anne Stakes, Starting at 10 to 1 on, it was in this race that Frankel produced what remains the highest ranking single performance by a racehorse, if those international ranking calculations are your barometer. Either way, the 11 length demolition of, who else, Excelebration, was breathtaking, the latter going on to show that he had improved too, winning two of Europe's other top mile races, the Prix Jacques Le Marois and that year's Queen Elizabeth II stakes. Frankel covered the third last furlong in 10.58 seconds. That was faster than any of the top sprinters could achieve in the Group 1 five furlong King Stan stakes later that day. What made him so frighteningly good? Perhaps it was his calorie intake. Chomping through an impressive 23 pounds of Canadian oats each day, as well as plenty of English hay, for he apparently found U.S. hay too rich. It was conspicuously more than his fellow Colts and Phillies ate at Cecil's yard. Maybe it was his disproportionately large hooves. And, in parallel, we might find out one day that, like Secretariat and Farlap, he had a huge heart too. Revered racing and breeding correspondent Tony Morris believed it to be more straightforward. I've never known another horse with such a high cruising speed and the capacity to sustain maximum velocity for so long. After a routine follow-up for a second Sussex Stakes, at the unthinkable odds of 20 to 1 on, a clearly ailing Cecil finally gave Frankel his chance over a longer distance at York's extended 10 furlongs Judd Monty International Stakes 
sponsored by Abdullah's breeding interests. Relaxing well, Frankel surged clear to win by seven lengths without breaking sweat from Group 1 winners Far and St. Nicholas Abbey. There were rumours that he would go for his final race at the Prix Lac de Triomphe over 12 furlongs, but instead, connections kept him for the 10 furlong champion stakes at Ascot. Despite bottomless ground and missing the break, Frankel pulled through, for once being tested, winning by just shy of two lengths from top French middle-distance gelding Cyrus des Aigles. With his great horse now being retired, Cecil went a step further. The best I've ever had, the best I've ever seen. I can't believe that in the history of racing there has ever been better. His patient handling of his crowning glory now complete, the master trainer had nothing left to prove and quietly succumbed the following June to his debilitating disease and much heartache in the racing community. Frankel, meanwhile, went to Banstead Manor Stud, producing a hefty number of increasingly important winners each year as he tries to unwittingly outdo his sadly deceased champion sire, Galileo. In amongst the avalanche of ensuing hagiographies, let us offer some temperance here and try to play devil's advocate. Frankel was utterly spectacular. But there was a feeling with some that he only beat the admittedly very good ex-celebration again and again. He also stuck relentlessly to a mile throughout his career until his last two victories over ten furlongs, so was never given the opportunity to display the same versatility as others. And as such a classy son of Galileo, surely twelve furlongs would have been within his reach. And thirdly, at a time when flat racing has become so instinctively global, many thought it a shame that Frankel never ventured beyond his home shores to prove his superiority against the best that France, the US or even Australia had to offer. But in the twilight of his great career, Cecil increasingly shied away from sending any of his horses abroad. But this is being picky. The memories of his outrageous display remain seared in our minds. Frankel was, and likely always will be, one of the all-time greats, and for that, we are eternally thankful. As Queeley reflected after Frankel's demolition job at York, I could stand here all day and go about trying to describe him, but words don't describe him. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world and explore the exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hine signing off and saying thank you for listening. Thank you.